Welcome to the Slappy Cut Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the Slappy Cut is back again. Mate, we are back. What episode are we up to? This is number eight, I think. Wow. Yeah, it's a bit exciting. Eight weeks in. Eight weeks in, and Tyler, we have our first special guest. Mate, do we ever. So, first ever guest on the Slappy Cut, mate. It's, it's a special guest. So, this fella, he is the number one all-abilities golfer in Australia. He's actually ranked number 10 in the world. That's the world, Brenda. Yeah, that's, that's mate. what, 50 million <laughs> spots higher than us. So this year he's played three tournaments in Australia and he's won all three of them. Wow. He's gone to New Zealand and he won over there. And he's just come back from playing in the G40 Open in London where he came eighth. Wow. And now he's been invited to the British Masters at the Belfry. Well, Ladies and gentlemen, Lachlan Wood. Lockie, how are you, mate? I'm good, boys. How are you? Yeah, good, yeah, mate. Good, how's, uh, how's the body holding up after the trip? Oh, it's actually, it's been a bit rough the last sort of week or two. The schedule's been busy and uh, definitely pulled up sore from going over to England. Yeah, um, right. First time, over, first time over there, so sort of a learning curve for me. Is it? Is the weather as shit as they say it is? <laughs> definitely. I don't know how they invented golf in England. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mate, where did you get back? Uh, got back, I think it was, well, it'd be coming up nearly two weeks ago. I just went to Townsville on the weekend, um, for a pro-am, played shocking. I'm still, my body is still obviously recovering. Um, but yeah, so it's been ne- nearly two weeks. I'm still, still fighting back. Yeah, right. Did you do any traveling afterwards over there or was it all golf? Uh, we did, yeah, we spent two nights in, uh, the Netherlands after, so like a tiny holiday afterwards. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, good. So, was it freezing when you played over there? Yes, it was. Like, it, it rained on the uh, practice days, and then day one actually was forecast to be the worst, yep. and it actually turned out, the morning turned out really good. I got a late tea time, it was like one fifty-five or 2.55, it gets dark pretty late over there, and um, it looked good all day, and we played, got through about, I think, six holes, and it started raining, and then we, after about the eighth hole, it, we got called in for a... Uh, lightning and uh yeah it just rained for about two hours straight and then they sent us back out there and it was it was probably a maximum of 12 that day and i reckon when we went back out it was probably about five. Oh, how'd you hold on to the club that's cold cold and wet yeah did you have heaps of uh hand warmers and stuff yeah i had i loaded up on um deep heat and like those little <laughs> heat packs that you crack oh yeah um it's a tiger bomb i had those uh Best best purchase ever was those Foot Joy mittens. Oh, okay, um, perfect. They've actually, they've actually got a little pocket on top of them, which I, I think is probably made for it, is to chuck one of those heat packs in, which I did. Yeah, okay. Um, and me and Harriet just swapped. When I hit the shot, she wore them and swapped over in between. So you, Harriet, to your missus, so you took your girlfriend over. Yeah, she caddied for me over there, which was really good. Oh, how good's that? Um, yeah. Good's that? So... The course over there, mate, it, I've seen a few videos. It looked pretty tight. Was it Was it tree-lined and tight? Pretty hard course? It, it was, yeah. I put a, put a photo up of those tee shots, and every yeah. single one of them was either a shoot or just tree, what, pine? It's like cut over pine for us, basically. Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, every, every, every tee shot, you couldn't really relax and just open up. Try and hit the fairway without being able to feel your fingers. Yeah, wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> so in the in the G40 Open, that was the best the the best ranked players in the world for the all abilities, isn't it? Was yes, that, yeah, that, yeah. So top eighty players from around the world. Um, um, they accept in there. Um, obviously, I was at the time of entry. I think I was probably maybe fiftieth. I sort of wasn't sure if I was going to get a spot. Um, and then just after I won New Zealand, I got an email two days later. I think it was. How good is that? Has that event been running for very long, or is that relatively new? Yeah, that, no, it's the first ever actual all abilities major. Like they've set it out, set it out to be the G40 Open as the major event on the calendar for all abilities. Wow, golf. how good is that? Yeah, so that's where it's a bit of, bit of history to play, and you know, bit of history to be the first winner um, for Brendan Lawler. Yeah, right. How'd you how'd you play? You came eighth. How was your game looking, mate? Uh, I've been playing good. Like I tried to prepare as best I could um, leading into it, and I found I played pretty good over there. I just got, you know, unlucky with the tee time and that rain delay sort yeah. of setting you back in the first round. But all my shots I sort of dropped to us straight after that, coming back out at six thirty at night. Yeah, right. How do you like coming from Australia? How do you prepare? Like, did you do anything special to prepare for the the weather over there? As far as it being cold, is it just you used to it being down in Victoria? It's not pretty cold down there. I was dreading the weather going over. Yep. Um, that was a big, big factor in trying to prepare. I got lucky a little bit in the two weeks before was really windy. And Harvey Bay, where I'm from, from is not normally windy. It's pretty warm and sunny all year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was, it blew a gale for about two weeks. So I was actually chucking on my rain jacket and just hitting balls and not sweating bullets on the range for a couple of weeks hit balls. So that was good. Um, that was all I could really do and prepare and try and swing and, you know, wear as much layers as I could in the heat. Couldn't get into um, a meat freezer to hit some range balls? <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad idea, though. For yeah. That's pretty smart, mate. <laughs> wow. That's, mate, that's incredible to go to your first ever big G4 to, well, obviously the biggest part of the year, the major, and to come eighth. To travel as yeah. well, like, because I, I know you quite well, but your body... It needs a bit of prep <laughs> to get ready. So you've done well flying over there. And then to tee it up like you didn't come late, it's pretty remarkable, mate. Are you pretty stoked with how you went? Yeah, I am def- definitely obviously wanting to win. Um, you know, I think that's very competitive inside. Um, yeah. But, yeah, happy. You know, it, you know, if someone said to me, you know, would you take a top ten, you know, before I went, you probably would, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, you know, in, in my head, I think I'll just win it next year. I've just got this, you know, massive hunger to just win. Right, um, but yeah, I'm, definitely. The more I think about it, the happier I am with it. I suppose. Yeah. Do you, like how do you think your game stacks up against the other guys, you know, other guys and girls in the comp? You're on par with them, or are you better than them? Did you get a bit of a gauge on where you're at uh, compared to them, like that Brendan Lawler and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, good question. I watched a couple holes of Brendan and he hit it really solid. Yeah. Um, I got to, got to slide into Kip Poppet, who's world number one. He's, he's group in, uh, the first practice round, have a look. Oh, cool. Um, and he hit a really good, really nice guy. Yeah. Um, everyone's different in their own way. Everyone's really good, but it's not like professional golf where it's, you know, you got bombers and, you know, people that just put the dots off, but everyone's really unique. So it's actually harder to gauge. And I, I didn't think about that until I got over there. I, um, was trying to really gauge everyone, but it's it's hard, you know, and just like my body, I suppose, 
you know, I could be hitting it really good, and if I don't prepare right or I don't get ready for that day and stretch right, you know, I could just turn turn to crap basically. Yeah. Um. So it is a hard one to judge that, but um, from what I saw, you know, I definitely feel confident. Um, I've just got to maintain and get better, you know, with what I've got. Yeah. What's the um? What's the range of disabilities you have over there? Is everyone sort of like similar, different body part, or is it, is it a whole range of disabilities? Yeah. So they had, um, I think, nine different categories in the in the end. I'm not hundred. I'm not across all of them, but there was sort of like a physical, like standing one, two, and three categories. Um, yeah. Intellectual sort of one, two, and three. Vision like vision loss categories, um, and then also wheelchair and paragolfer. Um, you know, non-standing categories as well. So they had, um, you know, a variety, and then they obviously had the overall winner um, for the, all the events. It's so cool we can do that. I did, I did some time with um, with James Gribble. He helped with the invention of the paragolfer, and um, yep. it's just awesome seeing those guys hit. It's a, you know, you think after that, it's you know, any sort of disaster like that, you're not playing golf again. And for them to get out there is hats off to them. I think it's really cool. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's unreal, mate. For for everyone out there who doesn't understand, like, what is the G42 or the All Abilities Tour? Like, what's the the criteria, mate? Do you do you have to get selected to to compete, or do you nominate yourself to get in, or are you invited? Like, how how do you get amongst it, mate? Um, well, obviously the the G42, you've got to get a, a WR4GD pass, which is a world ranking for golf with a disability. Yeah. Um, you've got to go through obviously your nation's golf governing body. So for us, it's Golf Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they will have their assessors underneath that that they use, who then do an assessment um, to. There's a, all sorts of criteria to to work out if you meet the requirements. Um, there's a couple of different categories, two different categories. There's access, oh, there's three, sorry. Access, access plus, and then WR4GD. So you need a certain level of disability or impairment, um, to have that WR4GD pass. Okay. Um, you can play, you can play in events with an access pass, um, and, but you just don't win the world ranking points. Um, but, uh, yeah, so for me, I only got into it at the start of this year. Um, I've, been playing golf for quite a while, but um, yeah, the start of this year I got my assessment and went straight into the big open, yeah. um, which was my first event. So yeah. I really went in there so you, not expecting much and then come out with a win. Yeah, awesome. So you qualified within those three and four events you played in Australia and New Zealand. That's how you gained your points pretty quickly, hey? That's yeah, so you get so it's, yeah, a certain amount of points for your win, obviously, and they... Yeah. they Jump up the world, the world rankings done off is divided by obviously your events and your rounds. Yeah. Um, and winning three from three events shot me, like sort of flung me up the top really quickly. Yeah, awesome. You play against another guy um, from Coss actually, Cam Cameron Pollard. He's from Coss from Sawtell. Yeah. You had a few close challenges with him at um, the Hunter. I think it was pretty tight, wasn't it? You got the chocolates over him there. Yeah, yeah, Hunter Valley was a good event. That was that was a tough course, um, a long course. Did you play um, it off? Yeah, that, are... Sorry to in. Did you play it off the same uh, tees as the normal competition, or did they change the course up? No, we, we played in amongst the field, so we yeah. played just behind the leading groups, and it was yeah, same tees, same hole, so it was brutal. Yeah, right, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> That's testing your golf, isn't it? 
Definitely, definitely. And that's what, it'd be the same at, um, oh, actually, sorry, it won't be the same at the Belfry. So we'll be off the same course, but I think the markers are a little bit forward for us, thankfully. Yeah, because there's guys that you compete against with, like, like amputees, aren't they? With one arm and one leg and stuff? Is... Yeah, yeah. So there's, yeah. there's all different, it's crazy the amount of people that play, the ability that they've got. So yeah, I met, I met, I played with the one arm world champion when I was over in, in England. Um, and just the strength, you know what I mean, that they can have and the, you know, coordination to hit the ball like that is amazing. Yeah, it's remarkable. Far out, mate. You've done so much in only a short amount of time, haven't you, really, this year? Mate, it's pretty good. So, Lockie, I want to, I want to wind it right back. I want to go back to the start, if you don't mind, to your, to your early days down in Melbourne. Uh, at Rosebud Country Club, or even beforehand. Um, yep. If you don't mind, I want you to to fill us in on how you got into golf. Um, and you, when you started getting pretty good at the game, because you're a pretty prominent junior player. Um, I do believe you're the youngest player to be selected for the the area down the peninsula to play the senior pennants. He won many championships down there. Um, yeah. I want I want you to run us back through from how you got into golf. Rosebud Country Club, and then up until up until the car crash, mate, if you can. Yeah, so it's so it's a long, obviously a long story, but um, back yeah, back I was living in Safety Beach at the time, and um, my best friend at school was just absolute mad can golfer. Yep. Um, and you know we used to hang out every day at school and talk. I actually I remember picking on him for playing golf at one point, all joking around with him. Um, <laughs> and you know. He's, you know, wasn't a good sport to play sort of thing. We used to play footy. And um, my mum lived near a golf course. And I just happened to sort of after school go out there and have a look. And, you know, Dad had an old set of clubs. And um, take him out there and have a hit. And um, he just kept talking about a golf at school, sorry, about golf. Like he was just absolutely keen and ended up getting me into it. And I ended up, you know, obviously after playing a few times, they, they met the captain at Safety Beach. And he sort of thought, when you're joining up, um, and I ended up joining up playing junior pennant, um, going to the clinics with my friend at Rosebud Country Club. Yeah. Um, and moving, you know, getting taught by the late Betty Head. Um, she had clinics there every week. Um, and she taught some really good juniors, like, that came out of those clinics. Some of them still play golf now. Some don't. Some, but some got really far and then stopped. Yeah. Um, and in the end, I was playing so much golf as a kid, my mum rented a house that backed on to Rosebud Country Club so she didn't have to drive me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How good's that? Yeah. Thanks, Mum. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So you played a lot of... So you remember at Rosebud, played a fair bit of pennants. Um, so you were the young, youngest kid selected to play senior pennants, is that correct? Yeah, so I was, so I was picked to play the Pinchel District golf side, so like the regional side. As, yep. At 15, I was... I remember, I think I, we did the tryouts and I, I, maybe I just fell short being that young. Um, and then got the call up. I think one of the guys was sick. So, I, so I made it on the team at only just turning 15, which was a, sort of a bit of a feat at the time. Yeah. Um, and that for me was like the biggest opportunity to, you know, step up and play well. And I think like the first time I shot under par was in that event, in that actual, the last round of that event wow. for us to win that title. What, what a time um, to do it. What a time to do it, yeah. 
Yeah, and I remember when I had the accident as well, the actual team took me away. It wasn't long after when I had the accident. I think the second year I made the team when I was 16, and the actual PDGA took me away for that trip. Um, you know, even even though I had uh, on crutches, okay. it was sort of took you know about a year after. Not not long after standing back up out of the wheelchair, they took me away to that trip, which was really good to get me away. Right, so that's awesome, isn't it? That's fantastic. Yeah. Mate, really good. So, if you don't mind, mate, can we can we go into your injury and, and what happened a bit? Um, only, if, only if you're happy to talk about it. Um, yeah. If you want to go through it, just so all the listeners out there can get an understanding of, of what you've been through, because I think you've been through like 40 operations or something, haven't you, mate? 20 to 40? Um, yeah. With your legs, so yeah, fill us in, mate, if you don't mind, from the from the moment after you can remember until until like I guess getting back into golf and being fully able to play as you do now, as best you can, kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. So obviously, the after the car accident, I, rem- I remember going to hospital. Um, wasn't sure. Had no idea what was wrong, really, like the extent of it. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't, it was about a week later, I think. I think it took a full week of sort of in and out of consciousness till it really kicked in what had happened, all the seriousness of it. Um, and I just remember sort of my mum and dad would, would come in at different times. And I didn't think, you know, didn't think it was that important, didn't think much had happened. And then it sort of sunk in that how serious like the injuries sort of were and what, what it sort of meant in the future. Um, was unsure. Um, it was supposedly, you know, it was a really bad break, but I couldn't really understand what they were saying. Um, and obviously on like medication and stuff, you, you sort of don't remember a whole lot of it. Yeah. But I, I shattered my left leg. He described like a dropped Easter egg. So the tibia and fibia was shattered um, oh. into 44 pieces. 44? Um, yeah. So I was, I was a passenger side. I was in the passenger seat of a car. Oh, and it man. sort of collided with a power pole at high speed. And I had my hand on the door and my foot braced against the outside of the car, I remember. Yeah. And as it crashed, it's obviously taken the force of the power pole straight into my foot and shattered it. And um, it obviously got crushed in there. I remember uh, wake, like, you know, when the car stopped moving, I remember looking, or undoing my seatbelt and just looking up, it just hanging upside down, crushed in there wow. um, across the dash. Um, and think, oh, that's not good. I had jeans on, so I couldn't see the extent of the damage um, yeah. at the time. And yeah, when when the doctor described it like that, and it was you know pretty serious that it was going to take a long time to recover if it, if it would, um, and it was going to be a you know a pretty successful operation if you could keep it on there. Um, and then he did the operation, and, and it seemed all good. Um, well, I had a lot of pain straight after it. Um, turned out I got a infection in the bone uh, from the hospital, like an MRSA golden staff infection, Fine and that out. sort of ate ate away at my leg from the inside out. Uh, like a, the flesh they cut into to put all the screws and plates in it, they they loaded it up with a big plate and about fourteen screws, um, and, and tried to put it all back together and, and knitted it up. Big halo on there, all these pins had about twenty pins from my leg. Um, holding everything in place, and yeah, about a week after the operation, or it was probably wasn't even that. Um, uh, yeah, they ripped it all straight back out because of the infection got all the metal work out, oh, um, no. obviously cut back in, and 
I was in and out of surgery every second day having the leg sort of bits and pieces cut off it because of the infection. And, yeah, I think by the time I left hospital, I had over 20 operations. Um, But, yeah, eventually they got the infection under control, but I'd lost, like, most of the skin on my leg. So they had to graft. You can't just put skin on. If you're missing your leg, you can't just put skin on top of it because you can only obviously take one layer of skin. So they've got to graft your muscle. Yeah. Um, and you use that almost like a stake to recover that, that sort of gap in, in the flesh that you lose, you're missing. So they oh, yeah. cut, um, my latissima dorsi and teres minor muscles out of my back. So two big muscles. Yeah. Um, out, out of the left side of my back. And they sort of, I remember the doctor talking to me and sort of explaining, you know, how important golf was and that he tried to pick what muscles were not important to the golf swing. But the more I think about it, the more I learn, I sort of don't think he had much choice in what muscles he was taking because, yeah. um, you know, the more research and the more I understand about it, is it, yeah, it's, it's, they're the only options, I guess, uh, besides yeah. a couple hip, hip muscles. Um, oh, and they grafted those two, two big muscles onto my leg to cover the flesh. And that, that was like an 11 hour surgery. And I remember by that, by that point, I think I'd lost like 20 kilos from that infection. I laid in bed for two months in the, in the bed trying to fight that infection off. And yeah, by the time they got that done and put the metalwork back in there and the plates and the screws back on, um, it had, yeah, it had been nearly, nearly two months time. Um, and then once that happened, they could send me to rehab once I was confident that the infection had gone. Yeah. I could sort of learn to transfer in and out of a bed to chair. Um, situation and then sort of recover at home but it took a long time that infection sat on the metalwork that was in my bones and it's still there forever um dormant but it stayed there stopping the bones from healing for nearly a full year it took took 12 months almost to the day to actually have those bones heal up oh wow Man, I'm, I apologise for not saying much. I'm sitting here with my jaw to yeah. the ground. This is that's mate, just a crazy story. Like I've I've known you for three years or so, mate, and we've never gone into this depth about it. Um, so it's it's eye opening, mate. Like yeah. I'm I'm here like shaking a little yeah. bit hearing the story. So. Well, like at any point, do they throw around like potentially um, losing the leg? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So when the Infection happened, then they said, you know, like it's, you know, not, not good. We've got to take it all out, take, you know, undo, undo all that operation and, um, treat the, fight the infection off. And it, 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 they said, if you don't fight this infection off, that's it. Like, you know, you're not going to have a leg. Um, and I was sort of trying to discuss where to take it off. Um, because after about two weeks of, of just laying in bed, going in and out of surgery to have like dead flesh removed. Um, and they just put me with antibiotics. I couldn't eat. I remember a full week or two weeks, I didn't eat a thing. And I think the first meal I had was KFC. I think mum brought me. Colonel. So not, not sponsored by KFC, not yet. No, um, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, so they were, that was sort of tough. Mum actually told me not long ago, um, we're talking to her about all this. She said um, she was in the waiting room one day and the doctor come down to the vending machine to get a sandwich at like midnight or something. And it was the same surgeon that was operating on me at the time and that was his, that was his dinner, like a sandwich at the vending machine. And um, yeah, mum, she, he said to mum, you know, like you, 
your son's got to fight this infection or he's going to lose his leg. Like, he's lost so much muscle. Like, yeah. you're going to see it um, in his face, like how skinny he is. Oh, right, uh, mate. So, yeah, I only learned that a couple of months ago. Yeah. Uh, that happened, and that was, like, sort of hard to take, but mum didn't tell me that until recently. Yeah, wow. Far out, buddy. You've been through a bit, hey? Man, you must be strong to get through it. Far yeah. out, you wanted, to, you wanted to push through. Bloody hell. That's, yeah, so... That's too joking. It was a rough... Yeah, a rough, rough few months there, like, um, and fighting that infection, I remember getting out of hospital, um, as soon as they sort of gave the option to go to rehab, you know, we, we jumped at it, um, yeah. they were a bit hesitant to do it, um, they did nursing at home, obviously, for 12 months after to, to take all the metal work bit by bit, you've got to go back in for operations, um, to do, to clean all the sites and stuff like that, so there was so much that went on after it. Yeah. So my mum, yeah, mum stopped working for about two years to wow. sort of help me recover. More than awesome, mum. That's yeah. unbelievable. Far out. So how, like, oh man, <laughs> that's wild, Lockie. Far out, and it's it's still ongoing now, mate. You still got to do so much to it to like taking those grafts out of your your back. I think you explained. Mm. Like, no wonder you saw when you sit in the car for two hours as well, because you've got no muscle up one side of your back. Like, far out. Yeah, yeah. And you, you've got to drive throw, up. Just, far out. It, 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 throw, yeah, it throws a lot of things. It, and it's hard. Like, I, I still, it took years to really accept. It took, you know, what's it been? 2007, so 15, 15 years to really accept what had happened and mm. basically learn to live with it like it it definitely took as soon as i got back on my feet you know obviously i was trying to play golf again um, yeah. trying to hit ball balls out of an x-fix on, on the frame yeah um you know i've got videos videos as a kid you know mucking around on one foot flicking balls with not you know over an x-fix and bouncing them um i bought i bought one of those par maker scooters you know those three-wheel yeah scooters yeah you see i bought i remember buying one of them um with, with my savings and my dad chipped in to help me get it and then I could ride that up to the golf course like every day wow. and then yeah use that to um yeah it's just cut off you can still hear me right yeah, yeah we got yeah. you mate you got you still yeah 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 so um yeah you drive up to the golf course every day and you know just hang out at the golf course chip and putt when I could sit yeah. back in my chair put my leg up um and just sort of wait it took yeah it was 12, 12 months till the bones healed yeah, um, and we get them get all the metal work out fully. Put a moon boot on. Um, put weight back on there slowly. With well, I was putting weight on there bit by bit with the, as the frame come off, but not fully. Um, and then once I did, you know, obviously as soon as I was in a moon boot, I remember playing club championships um, with with a moon boot on. Yeah. I think I made the made the final group, um, and I've got got a couple of photos where I could Holy just fit my hand. Shit. You made the final group in a moon boot. That- that early after yeah. your operations. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it was uh, it was a couple of years, or not a couple of years, sorry, it's probably a year and a, yeah, say a year and a half probably after the accident that I was still in the movement. But I was, it took so long, the recovery, that oh, I, yeah. I wasn't waiting for it to play golf again. Like I was out yeah. playing. At one point I shot 75, shot three over with a 
with the X-Fix on. I remember the local paper come out and did a, made the front page of the leader um, about that recovery. Uh, wow. I was in, in, the, in the Sunday comp at Rosebud Country Club, and I remember one of the members, I didn't think much of it at the time, I was just used to hitting these little, you know, back foot hooks and just slinging it, slinging it as far mate, as I could. It's a slappy um, cut, mate. Yeah, yeah. Sl- <laughs> slappy cuts is what you hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and just getting it around. And I could chip, I, my chipping and putting sort of stayed with me, obviously just moving, moving my weight to the back foot. And, yeah, I got around the golf course unscathed that day. And I remember the, the member saying, you know, this is crazy. Like, you know, you should be on the news. And I... And I um, and someone at the golf club emailed the the leader, and yeah, straight away come out do a story, um, front page. Yeah, wow. So you, for everyone listening, you, your your injury was on your front leg when you were right-handed golfer, your left leg. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wow, incredible, mate. So. So that time during rehab, mate. What? what I got a question I want to ask, and. I've been through a similar thing. It's nothing like what you have done. Like, and I want to put that out there. But I've, I've kind of had similar. I, don't, I want to go where your mind went during this time, if you don't mind, because when I was sixteen, I broke my arm in a couple of places, and I and I was riding to my football. I couldn't play football for two years, and it, it broke me. So for two years, I didn't know what to do, and I, I'd just sit there all day. I couldn't go to work for six months, and all I'd think about is. I can't play footy, and I'd go to some deep, deep, dark places. And it happened to me again when I was in my late teens, early 20s. I snapped my ACL. I had three arthroscope operations. I was on crutches for a long time, and that's nothing compared to what you have been through. But but I went to some horrible places in my mind thinking about what I'm going to do. Is how, how did you get through those 18 months before you could get back onto the golf course? Like... Did you have anything that you did that kept you positive? Did you have people in your life that got you through it? Like your mum obviously was there, but was there anybody else, mate? Like psychologists, family, heaps of self-talk. Like how did you get through it, mate? That blows my mind that you come out the other side and play golf that early. Like I just need to know. <laughs> like how, how did you do it? Yeah, yeah like it, it, it's, it's, it's a good question and, it was definitely a rough time. Like, obviously, I, I had no choice in the matter. So, like, it was weird. Yeah. My mates were out, you know, going out and hanging, going to birthday parties and stuff like that. And I'm sitting in a shower chair and mum's sharing me when I'm 16, 17. Yeah. Like, I remember at times it was, you know, like, this is not right sort of thing or it's unfair. Um, but I, I remember, like, it, it was at, at the time of mobile phones had just come, you know, we just been out for a little bit. Cameras were just starting to come out. Um, I actually remember I'd, I'd buy stuff on eBay, like I bought a golf net. I remember I'd video my progress each day. Yeah. Or not each day, you know, a couple, couple of times a week. I'd, I'd, I'd limp out to the the, the net, set, set this old um, Olympus waterproof camera thing up and, uh, yeah, take take videos of my swing off one foot. And I'd, I'd actually try and look at the videos and see what I, what I could do, how I could hit it. Yeah, right. And, and then, you know, it, it was quite a good... I, I wish I still had those videos because they would have been really good videos to look at. Mm. Um, that, that camera died. I think it, something happened to the camera. I lost all the stuff on it. Yeah, right. um, but, yeah, I, I remember it was... I'd sit out in the backyard and, and watch the Saturday comp sort of come through on the on the, on the the back of the course. You know, like, I'd, I'd, we backed onto the second green at the golf course. I'd sit in the sun in my wheelchair. But, yeah, I understand, you know, like, you go through some dark places and it wasn't until... After, you know, I, I had the sort of motivation of getting back to golf. That's yeah. what really 
kept me going. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until I stopped playing golf like that that really you know sunk in like yeah. how you know upset you get, how dark you go, yeah. um, and that did happen definitely. Like I, I sort of lost my way for a few years um, in my early twenties. Went overseas, tried to travel, um, did whatever I could do, you know, just keep my mind off it. It was hard to stay in touch with my mates that play golf, you know, that I used to play golf with. Like, you see what they were doing. It's hard not to compare yourself to others, like, you know, with with your progress and stuff. So it was definitely, you know, a a big battle. And it took, yeah, it took a really long time for me to come back to it. And, uh, you know, but it stayed, like, that golf bug stays in you. You know, once you get hooked, you're hooked for life. Right. Was there, there's no point during that you thought, no, I'm just not playing golf again? Or was that... That, you know, the thought of playing golf again just carried you through all those times. Yeah, well, it, it, it stuck with me. Like, I'd have, that friend who got me into golf, like, we were really competitive. He was always better than me. Yeah. Um, but leading up to the accident, we, you know, got down to the, you know, when you compare handicaps as kids, that's like the ultimate thing, the ultimate level. Um, and we chased each other, and we were off the same handicap at the time, and it was hard to not compare yourself to like where he'd gone. He went to college. He went over and played in the tours, um, played really good golf. And um, it was sort of hard to watch in yeah, a way from a distance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I, you know, I remember I'd train it. I'd go to the gym. Like the gym was really good. Um, trying to sort of keep healthy and, and keep my life in balance was um, important to me. And uh, I met a guy at the gym, Heath Davidson, wheelchair tennis player. And he wasn't a wheelchair tennis player when I met him. It was just Heath in a wheelchair. Um, yeah. And he went through something similar to me. Like, he'd stopped playing his sport. Um, you know, he lost his, his tennis chair and just went to the gym. Like, and that's just what we did. Um, went went to the gym every day um, and had, like, this drive and just become really good friends. And he sort of got back into tennis one day and all of a sudden, within a year, he'd won the Australian Open a doubles partner with Dylan Alcott. And, wow. You know, that guy kind of from Rio um, was yeah. crazy. So that was like a really sort of inspiring thing for me. Like, you know, Absolutely. we trained for a couple of years together. And, you know, for him to just sort of vanish, not vanish, but, you know, phase away from the gym and get back into his tennis sort of made me wonder, you know, what, what am I doing with myself? What, what mm. am I doing with my life? Um, you know, it just sort of gave me this drive. You know, I thought, oh, maybe I should play golf. You know, maybe I should get back into it. You know, maybe if I did this, you know, just thought about it. It, it took a couple of years, but I eventually realised, obviously, the heat helped a lot with my body. Um, yeah. And then I moved up, yeah, moved up to Harvey Bay. Long, long story how I found Harvey Bay. I nearly ended up in Port Macquarie. Oh, um, mate, up the road. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. Um, and then, yeah, ended up in Harvey Bay. And that first week I moved to Harvey Bay, I played more golf than I did in the previous five years. Wow. Far out. But in that time that you you didn't play golf, mate, you drove trucks. You tried to become a firefighter, I do believe, with the SES. You did a lot of different things, mate. Can you run me through what you did work-wise before you moved up to Harvey Bay and doing what you're doing now? Like, did did yeah. you become a firefighter, or were you just with the SES, just doing the response yeah. stuff? Yes. Yeah, so I, I had the. The moment I really wanted to become a paid firefighter. I really yeah. enjoyed volunteering for the SES. Um, once I realised that they did road rescue um, and they were the people that sort of helped people in the situation I was in, I was straight away put my hand up to volunteer. Oh, um, and I put a lot of time into training with them, um, getting as fit as I could and staying on call 
you know, all hours of the night to help whenever I could, whatever I could, um, get qualified to do the road rescue. Um, and then I thought, I worked all sorts of jobs. I, I was a deckhand on a fishing charter for a couple of years. Oh, that's all right. Um, yeah. And uh, I really wanted to get paid to do what I enjoyed, which was volunteering in the, in, the, in the SES. So I thought if I did become a firefighter, they do road rescue as well, right. um, and they get paid. So I thought I'll do that. Train, it gave me a purpose to train as well, so it gave me sort of a, a goal, which was to learn how to run, um, to get back on my feet and you know, pass the beep test, pass their physical requirements, which is pretty hard. Um, and I've trained flat out for that. So it was probably a good 12 months, two years. Um, and I got, I remember I couldn't run. Like I was told you'll never run again. You know, you, you know, obviously learn to walk again, but you will never run again. Um, and I remember the first 400 meters I ran, um, at, at the gym. And it was like, it was a huge, you know, huge moment for me. Yeah, like I was I was cooked after it definitely, and I was sore the next day. But um, yeah. you know, it was just good motivation. Every day I would just go run a little bit further, a little bit further, um, and then I got to just about the the uh, induction bit where they take you in to do the physical thing that year, and yeah. they they didn't actually have recruit that year because they were merging the. Uh, CFA with a Vic Fire Rescue, so they didn't need any extra staff that year or however it worked, I remember. And I actually got rhabdomyolysis, which is uh, it's a, it's a, like a disease from overtraining, basically. You, you know, you end up urinating blood. It's really bad on your kidneys and your body, and you have to. The only cure is to not train, basically, not exert your body. Um, I was doing so much training uh, that it just my body was ripping itself up from the inside out. Um, Far out, dude. Oh. Far out. Yeah, so I ended up having to wait. He said, I think he said six six to 12 weeks, so, you know, three months basically of no training. And I was like, you're kidding me. Like, you know, that that was a huge setback. Um, That's your drive. You just found a new lease on life, eh? Yeah, that that, that kept me going for Two, probably two years at goal. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'd chuck up firefighting videos on, on my phone and, and jump on that treadmill and train. Um, and that was a huge kick in the bum. Um, and then, yeah, like uh, once I waited that period, I think I can't remember how long I waited. I waited the minimum period that he said. Um, and then I went straight back to the gym, did like my basic session and went straight home and it happened again. And straight back to the hospital, all the doctors, and uh, yeah, he said basically doubled the time frame he said before. And I was like, "You're kidding me! Like this, this can't be happening again." You know this. Um, so that that was it. Like I was like, "Something's got to change," and that was it. I ended up moving. That's where I flew up to Queensland and started looking for houses um, for a place to live. And yeah, it took took about twelve months of recovery and moving. Yeah. And that's where I, you know, got back into my golf and. Thankfully, thankfully did, you know, like I, I thought about all abilities golf. I do remember having the thoughts back in my recovery about, you know, like there could be something for me in the future, yeah. but it was, it was such a niche thing back then, I think. Um, it was so far from Australia and so sort of far-fetched that it never come on my radar until, until I got back into it up in Harvey Bay. I remember before I did my, I'm a third-year associate, before I started my time, uh, I remember 
trying to get into all birdies golf in Europe and uh, okay. it was a hard process to do like I was trying to apply directly with Edgar at the, the body in Europe yeah and uh, just had a rough time they were saying you know you need to come over here for a medical I was sending them all the doctor's reports and um, in, yeah. in the end the communication just wasn't there and yeah. it wasn't until I listened to a podcast uh, from from the, from Edgar themselves about the Golf Australia guy that, that manages the inclusivity um, and yeah flipped him an email and you know within within three weeks I was at the Vic Open wow how good's that mate that's some stories yeah that's <laughs> so, incredible wow far out yeah. you've been through a lot of uh, a lot of stuff dude far out so now fast forward to now you're up at Mary Brother Golf Course yeah, so, so working out of Harvey, Harvey Bay, um, there's Harvey Bay and Maryborough Golf Club. So I did did a bit of time at Maryborough, which was really good. Um, and yeah. then I live right near Harvey Bay, so coaching and working out of Harvey Bay um, at the moment, which is awesome. Um, it's such a great course and facility. Um, you know, like just and obviously the climate. You know, like it's it's you you don't realise how good you've got it until you have to travel somewhere else and play golf in <laughs> six degrees. So you have to go to the UK. So, yeah. so for every, everybody else out there, you're currently in your third year of uh, the PGA old school traineeship quarter membership pathway program now with myself. Um, yep. That's where we met, year three. You're doing loads of teaching, mate. Like your website, Fraser Coast Performance Golf. If anyone's up there that listens to us, get on board. Lockie's website's unreal. You coach a lot, like the stuff you're doing with the kids up there is amazing. Um, yeah. How, how how do you find the coaching side of things? Like that's what that's what I'm in it for. But how do you find it, mate? Do you love it? It, it is really good. Yeah, like the, the feedback you get from you know good good clients is awesome, um, and it, it makes you really enjoy the game. You know, like you see you see the hunger that other people have got and other kids have got, and it reminds you of yourself. And right. the, it's really good to see that and be able to help those those people. Doesn't it bring back memories when you're coaching like like younger people or kids, and you you can just see that bug in their eye, just going, "Holy shit, this is what golf's like." Yeah. And yeah. then you see him, you see him twice a week, and then you'll see him four times a week, and then you'll see him yeah. every day at the golf course. Then you start seeing him there twice in a day, and you're like, "Yeah, I know what they're doing." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they are hooked. Right, it's so good. Yeah, yeah, no, that is good. So I've got a really good, good, good lot of juniors up here at Harvey Bay. Yeah. Um, and obviously girls on a Tuesday, and then all the juniors on a Wednesday, and then they have junior comps on a Sunday. Um, and it's the turnout's really good. Um, and you you do you find you can see every, you know you see all different types of yourself in all these kids. Um, and it, it's awesome to watch. It's it's good to watch them go out and compete, and you know it. It's hard as an amateur golfer, like you see how far they travel, um, obviously for, for no prize money and stuff. But the parents, and you, you start to understand what the parents, what your parents did when you were a kid. Absolutely, uh, yeah. You know, I see that now. I didn't appreciate that as a kid as much as I do now. Well, you didn't like as a kid. You don't really know, mate. Like, you, it's like your parents tell you, but you don't understand. And it's not until you have to do it yourself or you see it yourself when you're a bit older that you. You fully understand what's happening, like how much they give up for you. So, yeah, it's yeah, that's pretty cool, mate. Mate, um, what's on the cards going forward? So you got you're going to go to the you're going to the uh, the Betfred Masters, is it called? Is that what it's called? 
the, yeah, so, so, at the so I was lucky enough to get an invite to a G4D tour event, which is the, the top 10 in the world get sent out. I think there's seven events on the schedule that run with the DP World Tour or at their events. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, at the time they just invite the top 10. And I was six, I think I was six at the time when the invites came out at the G4D Open. And they, so I got a spot in, yeah, the, at the Belfry in, in late June. That's, so about four weeks from that's, today. That's unreal because that course looks sweet. It looks yes. hard, but it looks good. <laughs> <laughs> Are you taking your misses? Is Harriet going again? Or is she. Uh, uh, no, I, I wish. Like I, it was really good to get her over to the G4D Open, but. Um, this event, it's just going to be myself going over there. Yeah. So I might, I might have a local caddy who's going to come out and help. Um, waiting to hear back. Oh, um, cool. But uh, yeah, just just going to be myself going over there. I'm just hoping it's a little bit warmer than last time. Yeah. Everyone, it will be, mate. you meet tells you it's summer over there. Not to worry. It will be, mate. But it's end of June will be pumping. It can can get to like, mate. I lived over there and it's so hot. Like the sun goes down at ten thirty at night. You're just You'll have the best time if it's half decent weather. Because there's yeah, so much yeah. to do at night. Just cruise around, have a bit of fun. But uh, what's yeah. on the cards in Australia next? Any training matches I'll see you at? Where we at? Um, there's a few, uh, like the Mining Town Pro-Ams and stuff. But uh, I'm not sure. I think Bagara is the next training oh, yeah. match I've entered. Um, honestly, not too sure. The schedule, that's what I'm trying to, trying to work out which way to approach this event and which way to prepare for it. And that's what I was hoping... Brendo would have some hints at what to do, but it's it's everyone's recipe is unique, I suppose. It's a, it's a tricky one. That's why I wouldn't mind hearing what Brendo does for a big event. What would what would be good advice leading up to say someone's biggest event they've played or something? <coughs> biggest event you got. So um, there's obviously like there's obviously the um, like the physical prep, which you know better than anyone for yourself, getting that right. Um, but you obviously would have heard of things like you got people who taper off for certain things and try to peak at certain points and <clears throat> and getting into that sort of stuff, which I'm sure you're um, I'm sure you're all over listening to that. Your your body has to be right for any sort of event, right? So, um, but I think I think for because you're gonna have to travel a fair bit for these events, and I think yeah. it's um, you know it's it's underrated for a lot of people. You, know, you you travel, you get to where you need to go, you try to get practice rounds in, blah, blah. And sometimes it's pretty better off just to stay home and, and rest up. You've got to have that energy. If you're going to play a big event, you need that uh, You need that energy. Because even, like, you know, from a physical standpoint, you know, playing the 18 might be okay. But I think the mental fatigue is one that we underestimate big time. And then we drain mentally and then, you know, the golf turns. And then we bad decisions. Bad decisions happen, and then golf gets exhausting. Yeah, it's a um, it's a big one. But yeah, just having those energy levels right is is so important. So then you can. It's more so just resting your mind mm. rather yep. than trying to um trying to rest your you know your body, which obviously like you know, you you definitely need as well, right? Like you got to be peak physical to um you know on the day to play. And like you said, if you don't stretch right, your the day could be over before it starts, right? So. Um, yeah, get that right, get your energy levels good, and then you can go into there mentally and go from there. But from a mental side, yeah, it's so individual to everyone. You need to know, you know, those tricks that can bring you back, something like, and even to probably identifying what actually ticks you off. I think, you know, <laughs> you know, finding that, like, you know, different things, you know, tick off different people. Um, you know, missing, 
yeah, missing a fairway might not matter, but missing a short putt might. And then how how you can come back from that? Mm. I gave Corfu yeah. I gave Corfu a good one. Have you heard the paperclip? The paperclip uh, thing to see how many times you get angry. Oh, I needed about four hundred paperclips. So yeah, yeah. No, the pro shot we ran out of paperclips. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure where they've gone. <laughs> That's a good one. So then you can start to identify. You know, it wasn't ha- getting angry. It was bad thoughts. Bad thoughts. Correct. I don't yeah. get very. I don't get angry. Neg- negative thoughts. Yeah. Correct. Negative thoughts. Yeah. And then and then going from there. So. Yeah, negative thoughts just bleed into everything, and then they they go on and on and on. Yeah. So, but man, like listening to your story, I'm, I'm not going to you know pretend to know anything about that. I think mental toughness, you've got us all beat. So yeah. you'll be you'll be fine in that department. Just just rest up, get your energy levels right. right. Mate, thank yep. you, thank you so much for coming on the pod, Lock. Um, your story is incredible, and I hope a few people get to hear it because it is it's moving, mate. Mate. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. But before before we go, I just want to enlighten everyone. Do you remember when we we played a pro am together up at um, the Woolen Bar? So Lockie stayed. <laughs> Lockie come down here and stayed at my house last last year or two years ago. So we, we drove up and played at my Woolen Bar. We took my car. We played in separate. We played in separate groups, and I had a really good pro am partner day. Like the guys in my group were awesome. Had an ex AFL player. All sorts of stuff. And after the game, we finished and we started having a, a few beers because you're allowed to. Yep. So, and Lockie finished and Lockie's like, oh, I'll drive. So, I had a few beers in, in the in the clubhouse with the fellas. And then we proceeded to drive home from three hours down the coast. And I had a couple of roadies with me. Like, I was fine. It wasn't over the limit, but I was fine. Yeah. And um, we're cruising along and Lockie's like, looks at me and he's like, can you hear that noise? I'm like... <laughs> it's like no man I can't hear anything he's like really I'm like don't know what you're talking about and we just kept talking 100 metres down the road you hear this bang and the steering wheel and he's trying to hold on to the bloody thing it's and the tyre pops oh on, wow on my car so we yanked it over to the side of the road right? we pull over and we're like there's no stopping base so we're like half a foot off the motorway yeah and it was on the right hand side I think so. I'm under the car, changing the tyre, yeah. right on the freeway. Lockie's twenty metres back, trying to, <laughs> trying to slow people down. It was wild, far out. And then oh, Lockie has a habit of maybe trying to go to sleep when he drives a car. <laughs> so he kept driving a bit. We're about half an hour down the road, and he's like, "I'm no good. You're gonna have to drive here." So, yeah, wow. So Lockie proceeded not long after this to go buy a Tesla. <laughs> because of this and now it drives itself yeah. he doesn't have to worry about it lucky, what you drive. <laughs> lucky man yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, look, oh. I've got a, a question for you so these are ones that have come through the podcast in previous times um, yeah. uh, my first I'm still trying to get to the bottom of this so Fred Ridley the, the chairman for the um, the chairman for Augusta National can you picture the guy you know what I'm talking about no, I've got no idea. Oh, the, he, so he's a guy like, you know, when they play the Masters, he's the guy that does all the presentations, got the slick back grey hair and, you know, pretends yep. to wear his green jacket. Oh, yep, yep. Is he a Scientologist, do you reckon? <laughs> Probably, yes. Yeah, Definitely. yeah, in a cult. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, and I want to hear the story of your biggest spit. 
my biggest fear. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, Corfi and I have have the, the tell all, so we thought we'd put you in the deep end. Tell us about your the time you you lost your mind and decided to take it out on on the course, or in Corfi's case, hit someone in the head. So. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I remember as, as a kid at Rosebud, there was a like there was a lot of good spits that happened there. But there was a there was a two par five on the north course back to back, um, and the sixteenth like they're both really good birdie opportunities um, coming home. And I remember we'd play after school and have these competitive matches against each other. And for some reason, it always ended on the sixteenth. Either ended really good with an eagle or ended really bad. And there's these pine trees up the back. It's all surrounded the whole course surrounded by pine trees, but two right behind the green. And I remember. Uh, can't remember who won or lost the match, but a couple of clubs end up getting thrown, and uh, neither of them come down. One ended up going up the tree and staying up there. I think the other one tried to get that one down, and then yeah, definitely had twelve, two clubs less when I come home. The old, the old double uh, throw, double throw. Well, waiting, waiting for a windy day. Um, you know, next windy day for them to turn up down the bottom of the tree. Yeah, I guess that. You throw one up to get one down, it gets slapped. Lose both. Yeah. Oh, mate. I remember there's a fair fair bit of action happened at the back of that green. Uh, Not not good golf etiquette anyway. No. Oh, that's that's a good one. I like that. No, that is good. Yeah. Well, mate, thanks heaps of coming on the podcast. Um, And thanks, Tyler. He's, He's carried this whole this whole thing with some great questions and um i've just sat here just open mouth the whole time man that story is incredible so well like i said i i, I know Lockie, and we've we've talked about stuff obviously but never gone into that depth so yeah. it was quite moving mate you're incredible yeah, no, accredited, I, 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 mean, I, I haven't really gone into depth myself until recently until this all these opportunities happened and it's it's been hard to, to speak about myself. I try not to, but uh, yeah. yeah, I've had to learn, learn a little bit, little bit about myself, and I've had a bit of help, luckily, from a few sponsors um, from sharing my story, yeah, um, which is really good. Um, so shout out to, to yeah. a couple of people that have helped, helped me. Absolutely, um, mate. shout them out. Yeah, so we got like Drum and Golf in Junior Holiday Parks, uh, Enzo's on the Beach, uh, which is a really good restaurant. Uh, Remax Partners RV Bay um, and then there's a, a heap of other people that have helped me too many people to, to mention but there's been a huge support from the local community here which I can't thank enough um, the opportunity they've given me has been huge and it's it's uh, whole point was to get me on that G4D tour and it's, it's done that so I've gotten an invite and yeah just got to perform at this next event nice. and it's all it's all happened and it's all been for a good course yeah, mate, that's awesome. Unreal. Best of luck to you going away. Yeah, well, I appreciate um, that. Yeah, I think after hearing this, mate, it sounds like Tiger's got a grazed knee in comparison, so <laughs> he can stop his complaining. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, mate. We'll we'll let you go now, buddy. But we really appreciate your time coming on our podcast and and filling everyone in on what what's happened over the years, mate, and and where you're at. We really appreciate it, buddy. You're you're a superhuman. You really are. Thanks, boys. No worries. Thanks, mate. Thanks, buddy.